there, good day, and greetings from Left After Breakfast here on 3CR. Susanna with you this morning, and we'll be hearing from, well, most of my team as the program goes on. But stay tuned. Now, listener, it's just two weeks until the election time, so I hope you're all ready and raring to go. And here's another reason why this government does not want a federal ICAC, Independent Commission Against Corruption. This government gave $1.1 billion in PPE contracts, personal protective equipment, to Aspen Medical. Aspen Medical is now part of an international criminal probe into corruption and money laundering. Just to continue, Aspen Medical actually had no experience in a deal of this size and the deal was worth $500 million more than any other government supplier at the time. And an interesting fact, Health Minister Greg Hunt also penned a letter of recommendation for Aspen Medical when the deal was being made, with no date on it, leaving its use ultimately up to the company to decide. Aspen Medical had a combined loss of $7 million the year of 2018-2019, but of course, profits skyrocketed to $420 million in the last two years. No wonder the government failed its election promise for a federal ICAC. But that's only a small thing, isn't it, really, listener? Just sort of some money thrown somewhere, maybe to someone's mate or perhaps one of the politicians themselves on the board of this Aspen Medical. Who knows? Let's have a look at something even more serious than what seems to be corruption. Let's have a look at climate change. Surely the greatest issue of our time. And what has our government done? Well... They did spend $450 million on carbon capture and storage projects, resulting in every attempted project being cancelled, with no carbon actually being captured, mostly because the projects were found to be technically infeasible, financially infeasible, or there just isn't anywhere to store the carbon. The government did not attempt in any way to monitor whether the program successfully captured carbon. Their only success criteria was the number of projects funded, regardless of whether the projects actually worked. And just coincidentally, one of the main Liberal ministers pushing for this cash handout to the fossil fuel industry left Parliament just after that for a job as a lobbyist for the fossil fuel industry. They also burnt brown coal, you know, the dirtiest kind of coal, and use the electricity to split water to make hydrogen. Sound good? Then they exported it to Japan, then claimed that this was green and reduced our emissions. The government contributed $50 million to this project, which cost 500 overall, and it produced only three tonnes of hydrogen. Also said, we're not going to get ideological about it, despite choosing to fund coal-powered hydrogen plants when solar and wind-powered hydrogen plants are substantially cheaper. Don't forget they took children to court to argue that the Environment Minister is not required to consider the harm 
their decisions cause to young Australians via climate change when approving fossil fuel projects. This federal government likes coal. They purchased 70,000 tonnes of coal to ship to the other side of the world to give to Ukraine. I don't know why they thought of that one. It would be cheaper and faster to simply buy it from Ukraine's coal-producing next-door neighbour, Poland. They haven't told us how they're going to sneak a huge ship past the Russians. And they didn't attempt to shop around with other coal companies in Australia. They just decided to give the money to this particular company prior to agreeing on the price. Coincidentally, that coal company is a big liberal donor. They paid hundreds of millions of dollars in carbon credits to landowners for growing trees which were already there. This government refused to sign a pledge to reduce methane emissions, a pledge which was signed by 100 other countries. They ran an expensive marketing campaign promoting a target of net zero emissions by 2050, but then voted against legislating a net zero target for 2050. The new plan involved no new laws, no new taxes, and nothing that was binding. They approved three new coal mines with record speed and rejected new solar and wind farms with record speed. Then they moved the role of Minister for Science and Technology to be held part-time by the Minister for Defence, spent $600 million building a new gas power plant after the private sector decided it made no commercial sense to do so. Then they paid $2 billion to keep some oil refineries open, which they claim will save consumers one cent per litre when filling up their vehicle. There you go, listener, one cent per litre. They spend $10 million each month maintaining an offshore oil rig that doesn't produce any oil. This is after the private owners bailed out, and it only costs those private owners $4 million per month. There's no planned end date for when this oil rig will be decommissioned. It's just sitting there costing us $10 million each month. Your taxes at work. I could go on and on about this government for the next couple of weeks, right up until election day. I could go on and on about their perfidy, about their incompetence, and about their, what I see, in my opinion, as corruption. But I'll give it a rest for a minute. I'll be silent for a minute.
Lovely bit of music there from, oh, I can't pronounce this. I don't even know what it is. Wuwakwikuna. Some brothers who play that South American music with South American instruments. Whatever it is, I wish I knew how to pronounce these words. And now I'm left after breakfast. It's time to have a chat with Glenn, the resident historian who's going to tell us today a bit of Australian history about some farmers and the army and a war on birds, some big birds. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Well, hello there, Glenn. How are you? Good, my dear. Yourself? Terrific. You know, I've been watching Anzac Day for God all my life, and you see when they come out, they... They commemorate the Great Trade War and the war against fascism, the Boer War, Vietnam, the Iraqi conflict. There's one war they don't recognise or celebrate. That's the uh, the Great Emu War. Just a minute, Glenn. We're talking about wars, aren't we? You said the the Great Trade War and you said the Boer War and other wars thrown in there. And, and now you're saying, what, Emu? Where's that? Um, well, not emus, not a place. Emus are a species of flock bird that live on this continent. And there was a, a big war, the Australian military fought back in 1932 against the emus. Truly. Emus. That's right, emus. Why are you calling it the emu war? Actually, emus were a large flockless bird. They take precedence on the Australian coat of arms. And they run across the continent. They're everywhere. Hmm. They also they also cause some enemies too. Um, so after the Great Trade War, soldiers came back to the land fit for heroes, and some were given land. There's a farming community in Western Australia called Campion, and farmers went there. And in 1932, there was a huge influx of emus. And emus decided to move across to the Campion area. They didn't just eat the farmers' crops; they trampled the fences. So the rabbits got in. And the farmers uh, were happy at all. They're fence tramplers. And also crop eaters. So the farmers would buggy you, we'll get some shot, we'll get some guns, we'll shoot you. There's ex soldiers, so they thought, okay, let's get some support from the uh, upper echelons. And I spoke to a fellow called Major Meredith from the Royal Australian Artillery. He said, okay, I'll help you. I'll organise two Lewis machine guns, heavy machine guns, and 10,000 rounds of ammo to shoot these birds. So this Major Meredith. That's him. And uh, on the 2nd of November 1932, the military arrived, they set up guns, and they saw 50 emus approaching. Ah, easy peasy. And they opened fire. And the birds scattered everywhere. <laughs> they scattered left, right, centre, back and forth. But they ran away. And they might have killed one. And the next few days, they went out these exhibitions shooting emus. And there would be a thousand emus. They'd line up for two guns. <laughs> they'd run every direction which possible. And they maybe over the next few days, maybe killed between 50 and 100 emus. And emus were, also the guns also failed too. It was wet weather, the guns jammed. So it didn't work, and this big plan to decimate the emu population wasn't a go up. So what do you do? You sit back and you, you call it a truce to the great emu war. It's a fairly heavy approach though, isn't it? We have a problem with emus, they're knocking down the fence. Oh, well, let's go and shoot them. Let's yeah. gun you with these great big guns. That's right. Well, the farmers had rifles. Farmers were ex-soldiers. They had rifles. They were killing one here, one there. But when they had more, they had machine guns. And 
it didn't work. So after a few days, I had a bit of truce. And okay, we'll come out again a few days later, and we'll try it again. And I had a week and a half of heavy machine guns that didn't fire, and bullets that missed, and emus that were indestructible. They said, okay, well, where's the right flag for the emus? We've given up. So the great emu war lasted about a week and a bit. And the figures, they killed maybe 100, 200 out of 20,000. And they still trampled the crops and crashed the fences. So the great emu war was a very one-sided war and uh, the humans didn't win. The emus won. That's right. I still think it's a fairly heavy response. They were protected until 1922. I'm not sure why, how they were. And they're part of our coat of arms. So I wonder why they stopped the protection. Because of um, the trampling of crops in these areas. They, they call the emu woman. I'm surprised they need planes as well. Actually, emus can't fly. Planes can fly. They could have flown planes out and bombed them. But, uh, it's, well, it's, it's as ludicrous as using machine guns. They, they still would have run in every other direction. They did. They did. The bullets went here, the emus went there. And, okay, look, and a plane like, would take maybe 10 bullets to bring an emu down. They're big birds. So it was a very brutal, flawed process. And they put no credit on the Australian Army or the Australian farming community. No, no. I still sort of finding it hard to envisage people. I've sort of had an image of, you know, young men marching off to fight the emu mm. war to the strands of waltzing Matilda. <laughs> yeah. And the pipe band and stuff, the Scotch pipe band and the machine guns being set up. Of course, And orders being given and, you know, and <laughs> the birds did not know what it meant. Basically, the bullets just ran away everywhere. <laughs> they went left, right and center. And those farmers, well, ex-soldiers too, would have been good shots. They'd had plenty of bloody practice. Well, they were, but again, the, the, the rifles weren't sufficient. They wanted machine guns. There's too many emus to kill. It's 20,000. Well, they're farmers for you. They, they always want more, don't yeah, they? They want more and more. They're the backbone of a nation. These, weren't, oh. these ones, and this is a land fit for heroes. They came back from the Great Trade War. They promised a land fit for heroes. Here's your land. And there's bloody emus. What do you do? Papa, shoot them. <laughs> of course. It makes me think, it reminds me, of, just an aside here, Glenn, about um, baboons in South Africa. Okay. And the farmers there had trouble with baboons who would come in and steal their fruit. Monkey business. Or their crops. That's just, that's what baboons do. Hmm. They live there, you know, for, for yonks. And all of a sudden these Dutch farmers come in and put up fences. And they say to, to the baboons, sorry, you know, you can't have this, this fruit because it's mine. I'm the farmer here. You do. Well, the baboons didn't understand that. And they said just sort of jump over the fence and pick all the stuff. And the farmers used to go out with their rifles to shoot them. But whenever baboons saw, you know, a man with a sort of stick mm. thing raised up, they'd run. And they, they could never, they could hardly shoot one of the baboons because they were so terrible as mm. they saw, like, the rifle go up. So then the, the Boer farmers had this idea that they'd hold the rifle down by their side. And they wouldn't lift it up until they got close to the baboons. But the baboons soon woke up to that one. As soon as they saw any human man approach, they'd just run. So then the bull farmers got a much better idea. They put on their wife's skirts. And the baboons didn't run for a while when they saw the skirt. But it didn't take them long to wake up that the... I just thought it was a hysterical story. There's a pattern there. There's the bull farmers, there's Australian farmers. And there's something which is missing from the equation. I mean... Where's the thought process? Well, you know, this land is your land. Well, so this is a land fit for heroes. Mm. They came back from the Great Trade War. They fought for king and empire to keep the world safe and British and um, get these farms and the body emus eat their food. And then the rabbits get in too. Like, what more can you do? Well, it lasted. Yeah. Rabbits, we can 
put that down to one man who imported rabbits for fun. No one's talking about a war against caterpillars at the moment, I hope. That's my two bob's worth today. Before I leave, I'll say, in the words of my forebears, Chocula. 3CR And was very sad news that Mitchell Fairclough left us this week. Hard to believe it, really. He has left behind a huge body of hilarious comedy gold. No punter to punter, the Whittle family, later musical outings, fabulous cartoons, and even an appreciation of a spider's daily life. Vale, Mitchell. I raise to you the parting glass. Of all the money that I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done,
Now, I did say that I would replay these comments from the BL from the bush just to make sure that you still have clear in your memory all the things about this current federal government. It's a couple of weeks till voting time, so don't forget it. And here's the BL. Hey, comrade. G'day, listener. It's the BL from the bush calling in. Hoping these are all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and all geared up and ready to get rid of this uh, this Mr Morrison and his evil, vindictive, cruel, heartless, see a struggling head, coalition government. Another four years of this mob, uh, listener, will be devastating. Devastating to the ones that really need help from the government, the ones that people have paid, paid their life in taxes to make sure that that they're getting looked after. Well, this mob just do not seem to want to know anything about that. Uh, their relentless pursuit on of people that, that are struggling, people in receipt of social security entitlements, people like on the NDIS, Medicare, and the rest rest of the, the stuff that's there for the general population to use, that they've paid for, they are making it harder and harder, and they will continue to do so. So, again, we ask you, listener, to get out there and talk up as much as you can the evil doings of this corrupt, lying government. I'd just like to talk to you on a, on a few issues, just to remind you of what, what a dud this bloke is as a leader and, and, and the government that he, that he supposedly leads. Well, we, we just go, we just start off on the leadership issue, like just, just look at his track record, you know, with when, when there's disasters before the country, which we've had quite a few over the last couple of years, like the fires, the floods, and then, then the COVID. Well, the fires, look at that, look what happened there. He just took off, buggered off overseas, sipping on a bit of piss over there in some in Hawaiian Islands or wherever he was, and uh, left it up to the general public to uh, look after themselves. And come the floods, same thing, sat back there, watched the place went underwater. The good-hearted uh, folk out there doing their best, looking after their mates, their comrades out there, uh, doing themselves without any help from him. Then he decides, oh, yeah, well, I better do something. Things aren't looking too good there. I better better get on my bike and do something. You know, again, far too, too, too little, too late. And then, of course, there was the COVID stroll out. What a disaster, what an embarrassment that was. Did not have a clue what to do. Ignored ignored warnings from all around the world. You know, in, in, in all honesty, listener, the only thing that got us through that COVID was, was it wasn't the federal help, it was the help from and the leadership. It wasn't leadership from the federal government, it was leadership from state premiers. Morrison was absolutely and his government was absolutely useless, inept. Then we can go to, as I said before, people that are in receipt of social security entitlements. And that's the word, uh, listener, entitlements. And that's what they are. Everyone that pays taxes here in this country and have paid taxes are entitled to this money that's there. It's not their bloody money. It's the people that need it. And they are the people in receipt of uh, Centrelink payments as in the NDIS. And what do they do? They just take funding away and they make it harder and harder and harder for people to get that money that is theirs and, and it's in these schemes that have been set up to help them. That's all they can do. Half their time is spent on finding ways to withdraw that money or make it harder to obtain it. 
you know, these, you know, the, the, the semi-privatisation of Centrelink and, and also that that's what they're trying to do with the NDIS, putting it into the hand, the NDIS into the hands of these people who've got no idea what it's like to be disabled and just make it harder and harder and harder for these for, for people to access their payments or their their packages. And that's a promise of things to come. That you know, that's this is what they you give them another four years and they, and then it will be just devastating for those folk. Then you've got the uh, Morrison is with you know, trust and, and his lies. Like this place, you can't trust him to do a thing. He just lies and lies and lies and has been caught out that many times that you know it doesn't matter. You know, he's straight out of out of that bloke in America with with the red hair or the tingy hair. Straight out of his playbook, just lie, 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 deny everything. And that's all he does. And as far as looking after people, just have a look at the look look at the carry on that went up there in the house of debauchery. Look at look at what was going on there under his watch. In you know, that's a workplace, uh, listener. That is a workplace, one of the most dangerous places in the country to work. As it come out to, as it's as it's been proven. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, a fair bit of media coverage and people speaking out about what happened to them and, and reportedly um, alleged uh, the rapes and whatever that happened up there, and just dragged on and dragged on and did nothing. Took people through the courts, stumbling blocks everywhere. Where this should have been fixed up very, very quickly. No, no, didn't do that. Any other workplace in the in the country would have been it would have been a royal commission five minutes into it. It just goes to show you what, what contempt he has for people. And uh, again, another four years of this, you can only imagine. You know, and that, and that, and that runs straight into the ICAC, uh, why, why there's no federal, federal ICAC. Uh, he's, he's lied again on that. He doesn't want anything to do with it because it will expose every one of them in the joint. You know, pretty obvious that why they're not having them. And then there's the, uh, this is my only take on thing. It's, it's, it's your home, uh, listener, your donga. Now, I'm reckoning for the last few years I've had this bubbling away on the back burner that because of these ridiculous house prices that that are out there at the moment, you know, a two bedroom weatherboard donger fetching a million dollars is just it's just beyond belief, but it is. So this mob get another four years and what's gonna happen down the track is I'll say, Oh, look at everyone, they're all running around, they've all got million dollar homes. So when it comes for them comes for the time for them to put their hand out for their hard earned uh, to collect a pension. I reckon that they'll be putting the home in the assets, part of the assets, because everyone's got this multi-million dollar home they're sitting in. And then there's, of course, there's the pensions, there's, there's the debit card, cashless debit card. You know, that's sitting in there, that's legislated, that's, that's there ready to be used, even though they're saying that they'll never use it. Well, simple question is here, uh, listener. If they never want to use it, what's it doing sitting there? Get rid of the bloody thing. Take it out of the uh, statutes. Get rid of the bloody thing. And, of course, there's a complete and, and still, to this day, utter denial about uh, climate change. Just do not want to talk about it. Nothing about it in the, in the, in the budget. Nothing about it anyway. Just don't want to talk about it. No, it doesn't exist. It's not happening. Complete denial of it. And I suppose the other thing, listener, that probably disgusts me more than anything is the utter disdain. Morrison wasn't the leader of the government, but he was in it at the time is when the Uluru statement from the heart was tabled and just picked up and thrown in the bin. 
he was there, he was a minister, he was part of it, just to completely disown that and, and treat it the way they did and the people that, that put that together is, is, is just abhorrent. And uh, again, uh, listener, we need we need a federal ICAC. So that's just a few things to chew over there, uh, listener. If you want to, when, you, when you're talking to people or getting on your bike about what this mob have, haven't done, well, that's just a few things that, that they haven't done. And as I keep saying that they are cruel, they're vindictive. They're heartless, and, and anyone that's doing it hard, they'll just put the boot in harder and harder. So I'll bugger off, listener. Just a couple of things quickly, if I can. Um, congratulations to Monica Hart. She, uh, she now finds herself as a, as a counsellor. Well done, comrade. And good to hear you back, bagman. Can't keep a good man down. Good to hear you back. Keep on punching, comrade. And uh, just a quick one, a good old metal workers uh, comrade has uh, passed away, bloke by the name of Terry Roach. Great activist, great unionist, my old comrade. Go out in the same old way, dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And we will, of course, cross over to the bagman. I have tracked him down. Well, good day, bagman. How are you? Good morning, Susan. I'm as fit as a fiddle, as we said last week. I'm as fit as a Mellie Bull. You know, Bagman, I've never seen a Mellie Bull. They're always very fit, Susan. And these days, even before I get out of bed, if I'm breathing on a regular basis, I do get out of bed, but not before I've checked the obituary column in the age and if my name's not there, I get up. Oh, uh, good. That's right. Only three weeks to go, Susan. Only three weeks to go. And if you're not sick of it already, then you are a glutton for punishment because a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there, two billion, five billion dollars there, and sooner or later... You're talking about real money, but I am not going to take what both the Liberal Party and the Labor Party are promising us at the moment. It's beyond the realms of what we have in the kitty. The Liberal Party is throwing money at us and the Labor Party is matching us. Now, I've got a, a disclaimer here, Susan. I don't vote for either party, so I try to be as unbiased as the Collingwood cheer squad. But I wonder what the excuse will be. If the Labor Party was to win, and I'm predicting they will, will they then come back to us and say, oh, well, there was nothing left in the bank. We have nothing left to give you, so our promises will go out the window. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect is, what if the Liberal Party happens to win, if the coalition happens to win, what will be their excuse for not carrying out most of the promises that they've been handing out willy-nilly? And I don't believe that either party will be able to abide by all the promises that they've made to us so far. 
they might tax the churches. Oh, well, um, they might tax the churches. They might tax the uh, multinationals. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Oh, oh, they couldn't do Don't that. Don't go that far? Oh, no, no, not as far all as right. that, no. Okay, all right. Well, the churches have got plenty of money for all of us. God knows we've probably given them a bit over the years because you used to put your thruppings in the plate when it came past you when you were at Mass on Sunday morning, didn't you? I grew very clever at slate of hand. I could sort of wrap the plate. <laughs> uh, Susan? Now, oh, my heart went out. My heart actually went out this week to a Liberal MP. Her name is Katie Allen, and she is the MP for the seat of Higgins. Because after last week's ballot draw, Katie Allen is a paediatric allergy specialist. Uh, maybe she should have been warned about, warned about this, bloke, but she reported that United Australia Party, now get this, United Australia Party candidate Ingram Spencer, she reported Ingram Spencer to the police for acting aggressively towards people and scaring everyone. Oh, he's gosh. A, he's a United Australia Party representative. That's what he's supposed to do. Anyway, she reported him for aggressively being aggressive towards people and scaring other one. But days later, Spencer was arrested. That's right. He was arrested. They put the come-alongs on him and <laughs> took him off to the police station for allegedly using a carriage service to harass someone. For scaring people. <laughs> scaring people just standing as a candidate well that's pretty scary United Party would be enough to scare people anyway apparently been already been before the court so you can imagine the surprise amongst Higgins liberal members and the broader constituents when tens of thousands get this Tens of thousands of them received liberal how-to-vote cards instructing them to preference Ingram Spencer, a QAnon head of Labor and the Greens. Spencer, who is a former PwC director, has labelled the Pfizer vaccine extremely unsafe and claimed it kills 3% of those people who received it. Tens of thousands of people in the electorate of Higgins were, according to Katie Allen, put Benza Ingram, number two, on their ballot paper. Can I do anything about the people who put those things in my letterbox? If I was you, Susan, I'd race out quickly, attach a brick to the pamphlet they're putting in and aim the brick at their head. Can I tell you something really interesting I discovered yesterday? Oh, sure, yeah. Because I've been spying out my window, you know, the old lady through the Venetian blinds. That's oh, me. Yeah. Dolly that's... Evans, they used to call those people. Well, that's me. I was doing a Dolly Evans. No relation, Bergman. No, no, no. There I was doing. <laughs> there I was doing my Dolly Evans, waiting for whoever it is who puts those bloody One Nation things in my letterbox. I'm sorry, it's not One Nation, is it? It's Pauline Hanson, One Nation. And no, it's I... actually One Notion. Oh, I, I knew I didn't have the name quite right. right. But anyway, I spotted who it was and I ran out and took off down the street after him and barreled him and said, why are you putting that foul stuff in my letterbox? And he was saying, oh, I'm just doing the leafleting lady. I'm just doing. So I said, tell me, 
what great policies do they have to make us both better? He didn't know anything. He knew nothing about the One Nation Party. He'd heard of Pauline Hanson. And I said, well, what are you putting things in people's letterboxes for? And he said, because they're paying me for it. Oh, exactly. That's a good enough reason, Susan. And he, and he looked like yeah. he needed a couple of weeks' work. But I've yes. never heard. Imagine getting paid all those years shoving things in people's letterboxes, knocking on people's doors, never got a cent. No, you were being a volunteer. And take into account, Susan, all the candidates standing for the United Australia Party are all being paid. They're having all of their costs covered by Clive Palmer. The people that will stand in front of the polling booth handing you United Australia Party propaganda are also getting paid. Unlike the people from every other party, the Labor Party, the Greens, the Socials and whatever, they're doing it on a volunteer basis because Clive Palmer has $80 million to spend so that he can be the gatekeeper for the Liberal Party because he will give his preferences to the Liberal Party. So if you vote Clive Palmer, the United Australia Party, you're voting for the Coalition, you're voting for Scott Morrison, you're voting for all the other crooks, people like Alan Tudge. They're the people you are voting for if you vote for United Australia Party. They're getting paid. Well, absolutely they're getting paid, and they're getting well paid, and I hope that they declare that payment to the Taxation Office or Services Australia, it used to be called Centrally. I hope that they are declaring all that money that they are being paid. Hang on, let me think. Let me think. We've got two weeks before the election comes. Do I have time to get in touch with Clive and say, look, um, oh, I should ask you first, and say, look, we'll give you a, a big plug on the radio? I would rather poke my eye out with a burnt cucumber, Susan, than actually give Clive Palmer or that Craig Kelly any airtime at all. As far as I'm concerned, they are both oxygen thieves and Craig Kelly is about to end his parliamentary career because he will not win the seat that he's standing for at the moment. Ah, well, Bagman, I can't have you poking out your eye with a burnt cucumber. (laughs) That's right. And and take into account, Susan, when we're talking about money, we're talking about money and we're talking about the businesses that have no legal obligation to repay the JobKeeper profits that they got. People like Harvey Norman and many other businesses, they have no legal obligation to repay what I think it was $40 million that was actually paid overall. But you take into account when you talk about robo-debt. And this is word for word from the minister, we will find you, we will track you down, you will have to pay those debts and you may end up in prison. And that was from Alan Tudge. Now, we all know that the uh, coalition had to repay billions of dollars 
that they took from ordinary working class people and ordinary people on social security payments that they weren't criminals and they had to repay all those people. It's a bit like that film, The Last of the Mohicans, you know, when Hawkeye says, I will find you, I will find you, I will track you down, no matter where you go, I will find you. Oh, so that's where Alan Tudge yes. got that. The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, my God. And take into account, Susan, that both parties uh, are saying to people who are struggling, who are struggling to uh, be able to put a deposit on the house or be able to buy a house, the Labor Party is saying, we will help those who people who are struggling to have equity in a house of their own. And Scott Morrison said yesterday on War Radio, now we all know what War Radio is, that's Radio 3AW, he said to Neil Mitchell that those people who take up the Labor Party offer to have an equity in their house, he said every person who takes up that offer Every time they go to Bunnings to improve their house in any way, they will have to report to Canberra. Now, I don't mean Bunnings in Canberra. I mean the government, and they will have to get approval for everything that they do to improve their their life. It's a really good scheme. I know people, I have friends, bought their homes with that input from the state government, and it's gone very well. I would hope that anybody that is taking up a scheme from the state government or the federal government, the Labor federal government, doesn't apply for funds to build a McMansion. Oh, God, no. Well, they wouldn't be, would they, if they had to get funding to assist them to buy their first little donger? Yeah, I remember, Susan, when I first got married and we were struggling and we were probably uh, surviving on $40 a week with a couple of children, we actually applied to the Housing Commission for a house to rent and with the option to buy, and that's exactly what we did. You have to start off small. Don't go for the McMansion because as soon as you lose your job, you're up the old shit creek. It just shows you where Scott lives he has no idea well he lives he lives rent free i'm sure susan uh, the government would be supplying uh, him a place to live rent free and i think that that's fair enough for the prime minister of this country uh, apparently jenny sat him down the other day and asked him to think about the bill of wheeler kid are uh, just like our girls uh, jenny said scott said She's completely right, and after a lot of reflection, I've deported my daughters to Nauru. Fair enough. Uh, and you've got to take into account, Susan, we're coming up to the one year, wonder years, you and me. We're both in our, we've got to be careful what we say, we're both uh, elderly, we would be regarded as elders in our community, but they are the wonder years. Because I wonder every day where I park my car. I wonder where I left my phone. I wonder where my glasses are. And I even wonder where I am. I haven't reached there yet, Bagman. 
No, Susan be careful. Oh, well. That, that yeah. wasn't true. That wasn't true. Yeah, because like me, I'm not counting the war years and I'm not counting the time I was sick and not counting the time I was on workers' compensation. So that puts me at about 50 years old. Oh, that's not too bad. No, it's not too bad. You know, when I was young, I was extremely poor. However, after many years of hard work, I'm no longer young. I was thinking back, man, of buying Twitter myself. Oh, well, it's about $50 billion. Well, Elon Musk says all I have to do is work hard and save like he did. So all I need is job that after paying tax of course the tax and paying my living expenses leaves me with a disposable income of about one million a year disposable and that i have to work for 61,000 years (laughs) and save that every and i'll be able to buy tuition won't i (laughs) that's right and there's a chance you might lose it all on the stock market can i read you one letter one letter and we're talking about your favourite political party. But this letter is from Deb Schmitzer, and she comes from WTree. Now, do you know where WTree is? No idea. Oh, I don't know, WTree. But anyway, she says, Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party claims to fight for ordinary Australians if her candidates represent ordinary Australians, I for one refuse to be associated with the selection she comes up with. Deb goes on to say, I have yet to see a woman represented in her party, only men with dubious and scandalous histories, dysfunctional men all behaving badly, being bossed around by dysfunctional women who at the last who at the best of times is before the media seem to have a nervous breakdown. Now, that's true. I have never, ever seen a woman representing the One Nation Party. Well, that might be different this year because Pauline's had a lot of trouble trying to find people to run for the federal oh. election. Mm. And even and just hours before the close of nominations, mm. they were still running around and telling one prospective candidate to leave the electorate. He was running in blank so they could fill in all the seats properly. Oh, right. Okay. Several candidates have um, live in other states in the seat they're standing in, including, and this is for you, Bagman, including a husband and wife selected to run in separate streets in New South Wales and Victoria. In separate streets? Seats, seats, one in New seats. South Wales. Oh, right. Okay, well, I suppose it is hard and she's not, let's, let's be honest about it, she's not the worst of the politicians in, in this country. We have seen the sports rort scandals. We've seen all sorts of the car, car park scandals and every other type of scandal that could be within people's thinking, brought up by the uh, the coalition party. So she's not the worst. One Nation cannot get anyone as candidates, even though they promised that this year they'll have a candidate running in every seat. And it doesn't matter if you don't live in that seat. You don't have to live in that seat. You might remember a chap called Paul Keating. Yes. 
Do you? You're probably thinking of Paul Keating, and I'm talking about Paul Keating. And he was uh, at 3CR, Paul Keating. Well, he... I, remem- I remember being photographed on the front page of the Australian newspaper with a Paul Keating, and it wasn't the Paul Keating who was the Prime Minister of this country. And it got to the stage where, you know, because Paul Keating ran against Paul Keating, they had to have on his on their, their poll paper, they had to have Paul Keating Prime Minister and Paul Keating unemployed. So, oh, that, right. so that people could differentiate between the yeah. two. And he got really <laughs> shitty and he said that 3CR employed him for two hours a week. Yes, yes. So yes, he was yes. employed. Oh, well, yeah, I do remember that, but that's going back a long, long time ago. That's going back to the time when a trade union movement didn't drink at the John Curtin Hotel because they had a ban on it and drunk around the corner at the Lincoln Hotel in Carlton. That's right. Mm. That was a while back. 3CR. And the only reason Craig Kelly joined One Nation was because he was booted from the ALP because he didn't believe in COVID-19. Well, I think he was booted from the Liberal Party. Oh, I mean the Liberal Party. Oh, shit. That's right. That's okay, Susan. And he stood as an independent, but his parliamentary career will finish on the 21st of May this year. Great. The same as One Nation Party, as a party, will have no relevance after the 21st of May this year. Well, that is really good news, and I would really like to see that happen. And it's worth having a drink if I see the end of One Nation. My God, I've hated living in the same country as them. Well, yes, unfortunately, we have to tolerate these people, Susan. As we've said, a disclaimer, we do not vote for the Labor Party. Um, More importantly, we don't vote for the coalition, but we do support the Labor Party, but we are just so disappointed at the moment. Yes, we have been disappointed with the Labor Party for a while. Well, we have. Now, Susan, I have to ask, I have to indulge, I cannot see the clock at Coburg. Can you see the clock in Collingwood? I thought you would ask me that, Bagman. So I've set up a system of mirrors. They oh, do, right. They do it with mirrors. And I could look mm. over at one mirror across from here and it bounces off another mirror, which bounces off the Collingwood Town Hall clock. Oh, good. So it must be about time. I can't um, tell. It's, I've just got all this light reflecting back on me. I can't really tell. I thought that was a quote from uh, Albanese the other day. Morrison was all smirk and mirrors was probably the quote of the year. So anyway, Susan, let's go out in the same old way. Why not? Dare to struggle. Then dare to win. If you don't fight... You lose. Good morning from left after breakfast. 3CR. Well, once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I've enjoyed having you along for the ride. And I'll see you same time, same place next week. And until then, cheerio from left after breakfast. <laughs>